and welcome to another episode of the Pyrephalite Society's podcast. It's Hannah Squire here, and I'm joined today by the iconic Jan Marsh, a pioneer in Pyrephalite studies. She also has been a, was a great support and resource for me um, when I created an exhibition of Elizabeth Siddle's work, as Jan curated the first ever solo exhibition of her work, wrote the exhibition catalogue. She also wrote The Legend of Elizabeth Siddle, Pyrephalite Sisterhood, among many other groundbreaking titles about the Pyrephalites and other artistic movement movements. Formerly with the National Portrait Gallery, Jan Marsh is a biographer, a critic and a curator who recently created two exhibitions, Black Victorians and Pyrephalite Sisters, which feature images of Fanny Eaton. Today we are taking a microscope to to Pyrephalitism and focusing on one, one particular artwork titled A Young Teacher, painted in 1861 by Rebecca Solomon, featuring model and muse Fanny Eaton. And before we get into it, um, I would just like to state any views expressed during this episode, as in all our episodes, are as alone and don't reflect the Pyrephalite Society in its entirety. This conversation is really timely, as on the 2nd of November, it was announced by the UK government's Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport through a press release that a temporary export bar had been placed on this work by Rebecca, Sol Rebecca Solomon. A record sum was paid at auction over £300,000, selling for more than 10 times its high estimate to Princeton University Art Museum in the United States. Princeton has a really wonderful collection of Pyrephalite art, including an incredible drawing from just a few years earlier than the Rebecca Solomon piece, 1859 of Fanny Eaton by British artist Walter Fryerstocks. They also have drawings by Rossetti, Siddle, Millet, and I've just been looking online, their incredible collections of African-American prints, post-war women artists, contributions to abstraction, and their research into women in the arts of Africa. So it's really wonderful to see the appreciation and interest in this artwork by a female Jewish British artist featuring a black British model and collaborator. And it's wonderful to think of this artwork being in a public collection. But today I want to ask Jan specifically about the significance of this artwork of Rebecca Solomon and Fanita and to British history. So Jan, first of all, for anybody who doesn't know, can you tell us who is Rebecca Solomon? Rebecca Solomon came from a middle-class Jewish family in London. Um, she had two brothers who were also artists, Abraham Solomon, and, who was the older brother, and Simeon Solomon, the, her younger brother. Um, and that was quite uh, unusual, in fact, remarkable, because there were very few artists of Jewish faith in 19th century Britain. Um, and Rebecca is unique and remark very remarkable being the only known female artist of the Jewish faith in that period. Um, she had a reputable career as, as a painter, not with great fame, but a very solid um, career, painting popular works rather than portraits or fancy pictures. Sadly, uh, Rebecca's career founded following um, the conviction of her brother Simeon for homosexual offences, uh, which led really to Rebecca being ostracised as well as Simeon. And and that was a sad sort of, um, she didn't stop painting, but that, that curtailed her opportunities. She was quite close to many members in the pre-Raphaelite circle, 
worked for a time with Millie, John Millie. She knew Rossetti quite well. And she was a particular friend of Brian Jones's wife, Georgie. Mm-hmm. So, um, her social circle was very much within the Pre-Raphaelite atmosphere. Mm. Our work is much more conventional, straightforwardly representational, with a good training. Um, and as I say, she had quite a lot of success with paintings, for example, from theatrical scenes, dramatic scenes, but also what I would call drawing room pictures of, of pretty young women in a domestic setting. Quite an unusual painting because although it looks at first sight, mm. at first sight it's 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 a it's a genre scene, a domestic scene, everyday life, um, with a, a, a couple of pretty children and their nursemaid. And then you look closer and you look also at the at the title, a young teacher, mm. and you realise that actually the teacher is the older girl in the painting rather than the adult. Mm. And it is the older girl who is instruct apparently instructing the nursemaid, the ayah, who's in Indian costume, either to read or to understand what what she's looking at in a book in a book of pictures. Yeah, could you tell us about who um that uh, female adult figure is in the painting? So who who was this? Yes, and that's the other, the second reason why the painting is so so interesting is that the model for the uh, nursemaid or the Indian ayah was the Jamaican-born model Fanny Eaton, mm-hmm. um, who 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 became a very popular, a very a very popular model among the pre- well, along many many Victorian artists, and she she appears in. Uh, dozens of Victorian paintings, not only pre-Raphaelite ones, but all sorts of paintings. Um, so Fanny Eaton, um, as a model, did duty for more or less any sort of female figure of of of, of exotic looks or dark skin, um, so on. And here she is portraying as it's like an act. An artist model is like an actor who puts on costumes and and plays a role in the painting. Um, so here she's she's portraying an Indian ayah who would be one of the nurse a nursemaid who travelled backwards and forwards between India and Britain with British families looking after the children and would be employed by them sometimes within the British home as well as on the voyage. Mm. Um, so and Fanny Eaton's um, Fanny Eaton's uh, identity has only really been uncovered and understood in the last couple of decades. Um, So it's a very exciting identification to see her in this particular role. Yeah, I know that you've been speaking to, and we have another episode actually with Brian Eaton, I know the work, Jan, that you've done into kind of uncovering more about Fanny Eaton, learning more about her place in the Pre-Raphaelite art world. I, I think it's really interesting. You talked about this painting reflecting those bigger conversations around um, Victorian Britain and Britain generally's a place in the in the global um, society. Whether that's to do with um, both Fanny Eaton's heritage about being born in Jamaica, her mother being born into enslavement in a British colony, and about Britain's relationship to India um, and the empire there. So, yeah, it really touches on these sort of these larger themes um, as well. It's an interesting 
um, glimpse, as it were, in, in a place you wouldn't necessarily expect to see um, illustrating the long history of interdependence between Britain and India in that in that in the century, and it illustrates the, this otherwise forgotten role of the ayah, um, mm. who who looked after British children on the voyage. They had they had a special they had a special status. Indian ayahs um, they had their own accommodation on board ship and also hostels. In, in the in the city in London and other cities where they would lodge between voyages if they didn't have a, a British family to to stay with or to live with, um, and it's a forgotten history. But it was obviously very very important. I mean, it's one of the foundations. The British British India could not have functioned without these women. Mm. So it's a very nice example of a forgotten episode of British history. Uh, inadvertently, it's not claiming to be about British history, but it does show us very. And and of course, there was a huge amount of global traffic. Um, so Victorian Britain is um, far more diverse and multicultural than we've ever thought we we ever imagined it was. Although, if we had been back there, we would have been very much aware of it in the street and everywhere. Um, so it's a nice example. Of, of the diversity definitely and i think there's been a great project i know looking into ayas um and their um, work and place in in britain and um, by ayas home i think it was a project mm -hmm. by i think it's farhana bello i, I apologize mm -hmm. if I'm wrong but yeah there's been a lot of work so i think this is a really yeah a really important piece uh, as part of as part of that story really interestingly though it's got fanny eaton um a jamaican-born Black British woman um, depicted at, in as an Indian ayah. I think it's really interesting mm -hmm. the way that they've kind of just taken her, othering her as just kind of representing another culture and not, you know, using uh, an Indian model for it. That's right. Yes, but of, of course, um, Fanny Eaton was available. She was very well known as a model. She could take on a quality of repose in herself mm. because. Many of the depictions of, uh, of many of the paintings in which she is depicted, although it's not her that's being depicted, she's playing other roles, they are very dignified and reposeful images of, 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 a, of a, a, a woman of colour. Mm. Um, and she was evidently, and this was not her major occupation uh, because Fanny was actually the mother of 10 children and, and with a husband who was a, a London-born cab driver, the sort of equivalent of a white van delivery driver today, um, and living in quite quite severe poverty. And when she wasn't modelling, Fanny was in domestic service or working as a washerwoman or a charwoman. So it was a very occasional job she had as, a, as, a, as an artist model. And that's another interesting feature about her and she was of course completely forgotten and lost and no one even knew her name until my colleague Pamela Gerish Nunn worked it out about 20 or 30 years ago. Since mm. when Fanny Eaton has become how do I say a sort of posthumous celebrity and um, you see her face in one Victorian painting you instantly recognize it whenever you see it again whatever role she's playing whatever part she's got in. 
Yes. Yeah, it's wonderful to see about the blue plaque that's now gone up in London um, for mm. her. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, so this is also a painting, Jan, about learning and about teaching. So I wanted to tell us more about um, the connotations around that and around primary education. Well, it's the, the, another thing that seems to have been missed, I think, in the discussions of this painting, and that's only recently that I've realised it myself, that it is about literacy because the young teacher, the, the young teacher, the girl, who's obviously a primary primary age child, is apparently instructing an adult to either to read, well, yes, to read, to understand how to handle a book. So we can't tell exactly what what uh, what book they're looking at. It looks like a big book of prints, of themes, you know, landscapes or something. Maybe a book of maps. It may be something like that. But um, certainly the teacher element for the young girl is resonant for the period, the 1860s, when primary education for all became a very important political topic. And it led up to, eventually led up to, the, 1870, the famous 1870 Education Act, which established the first public primary schools or elementary schools. And universal education began in Britain before that. Most working class people did not have opportunity to learn to read and write and calculate, although they they, they got on quite well without um, such skills, um, or they got on reasonably well, just using their native wits, I suppose. It seems that there is this, this element of interest in public education, in universal education, and of course it would trans it would transfer also to people from the colonies. Although years of slavery, of British colonial slavery, the enslaved were not allowed to learn to read and write um, in order to keep them oppressed and so on and so on. In fact, in the middle and later era of the Victorian period, of course, education became part of the missionary impulse in India and Africa and anywhere else that the British wanted to export themselves. So talking of access to education and the power of education, um, I wonder if you could tell me, Jan, briefly a bit about um, Rebecca Solomon's attitudes to uh, being seen as a professional artist or the, the lack of access of women to uh, become professional often. Yeah. 1850s and 60s were, were notable in Britain uh, for, uh, for the um, agitation and the demands from women for access to professional occupations, all mm. forms of professional occupations that, were, that, that, that they were excluded from, including the um, professional art or art as a professional uh, pursuit. Mm. And Rebecca was part of the... Uh, part of the campaigns to open uh, the Royal Academy Schools, which was the premier training ground for professional artists to women, been admitted before, mm. not not and they weren't, and still took quite a lot of effort before they were. But other art schools did admit women and did encourage women, and so it's uh, so part of that whole process of opening up professional work 
and employment boom. Mm. And Rebecca seems to have been part of this. Um, her family were not impoverished, mm. but it does seem that she wished and did pursue a professional career selling her, working for money, mm. which in many ways, many households, um, especially respectable middle-class households, this was frowned upon by fathers um, particularly because it was felt that if, your daughter, if a daughter, if daughters were obliged or wished to earn money, this sort of cast dispersions on their father's capacity to support them. So there was a quite a, a there was a big pushback against women's um, employment and women's education. The struggle for access to art training was quite a major part of, of that mm. uh, campaign. It took half a century. Mm. And it was obviously also linked to the suffrage campaigns taking place in the same format for another half, the same half century. Yes. I was actually shocked when I went on the Art UK website. I thought I'll just search Rebecca Solomon and just see how many paintings are on there in the UK collections. And there's only three. Um, I could oh. see, which is two in the Museum of Home in London and one in um, Aberystwyth University, a Welsh university. Um, so I can only find three paintings. That's on Art UK, um, which, mm. yeah, did quite shock me. So, Jan, why do you think um, it is important that this particular work uh, stays in the UK, goes into an, uh, a UK public museum collection? Well, partly because for all sorts of grounds. Mm. Partly because it's a, by a woman artist and there are we need more artworks, artworks by women artists in the public domain uh, so that their achievement can be properly uh, seen, properly assessed and properly discussed. We have very little uh, uh, critical literature about many of the women's artworks and I think there's very little critical, very little contemporary criticism of Rebecca's works, although she did have quite a large output. And where have they all gone? A lot of them have vanished from view. So hopefully some more will emerge mm. thanks to thanks to publicity. And the other reasons, of course, is is, is partly because of the subject, mm. um, which brings into focus the whole, whole relation of British India and the the British the English domestic scene. And also the role of Fanny Eaton as a model, a person of colour featuring in the British home. So there are many, many reasons why this is a very, very interesting and a very productive painting. A painting productive with very many, uh, in, not in fact in different interpretations, but depths of interpretation that you wouldn't immediately think of when you first see it. But it does, it will repay a lot of study. And that's another good reason for having it in a public collection, mm. if possible. Yes, definitely. And also kind of, yeah, looking at the amount of artworks of that depict Fanny Eaton in public collections, both in the UK and around the world, it's the significance of amazing, but yeah, it'd be lovely to have more, to have more of those um, on show for people. So can you now explain for people that don't know what an export bar actually is? So what is going on at the moment um, with this artwork? The process is that when an artwork or a cultural item of, of uh, significance is sold overseas, 
Yeah. Museums in, in the United Kingdom can lodge an objection to its export yeah. uh, on the grounds of its of historic significance of all kinds of things, not, you know, not just paintings. The objection is then goes to a committee of the DCMS, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, mm -hmm. to investigate the historic significance of the, of the object. And if it's deemed that it isn't, it is of historic historic significance. Doesn't have to be that valuable or that important, but it does have to have a certain degree or a significant degree mm. of, of importance. Um, then other museums, other public collections, not just individuals, but other public collections, are are invited to raise the same amount of money as it sold for. And usually these are things that went for went to auction, so we know exactly how much they were sold for. Um, and that's the case with this particular painting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the museum, the other museums, other museums have six months to raise the same amount of money and agree to purchase and then display the artwork. So an export stock means that it can be as it says, rescued for the nation. That's often the terms in which uh, um, um, items or objections are lodged. But they're mostly very significant and big and important paintings, or in the case of paintings, um, they are very significant and very valuable paintings, or very pricey paintings. Mm. In this case, we hope very much that the export bar will allow a British museum or perhaps a consortium of British museums to purchase this work and share it generally to the public and keep it in the public domain so that it can be discussed and um, displayed, traveled about perhaps. It's quite a robust piece, so it's, it's, it's okay. It won't suffer uh, transported about. Mm. Um, and so let's hope that uh, I think there's another few weeks to go before we get a, um, a, a, a you know, not an offer from the British museums of whoever they are mm. to say that they would like to buy it. Mm. Thank you so much, Jan, for sharing a post. I saw it on Instagram, actually, always I'm always on there, um, about um, the export bar, because I hadn't heard about it before I saw that. So, yeah, thank you for um, for advocating for it. I just wanted to ask one more question about that, actually. So the export bar, is it... So if, if other people see other artworks that come up or other objects that come up that they feel very strongly, you know, that, that are important to the nation... Um, can you go and advocate for DCMS? Like how how does it work for people? How how can you do that? It, it, it's done through through other public institutions, other museums okay. would lodge the objection. It's not. Okay. I think I think it's not possible for an individual to do so, but it's all part of what goes on sort of within the museum world. Mm. By the same token, it will be the museums, the other museums. Who will raise the money to to um, to purchase the work? And there are some very very valuable. There's a big Sir Joshua Reynolds painting of the Polynesian visitor Omai, which is currently under another export bar, 
and that needs millions of pounds or a million or something like that. So that's going to cost a lot. But the Rebecca Solomon is quite modestly valued. Mm. Um, it, isn't, it isn't a sort of great major painting globally important, but it is very important in, in terms of British history, British art, Jewish history, women's art, women's history. And so a whole range of topics um, that, that converge on this painting. And that's what makes it such an exciting piece. And I'm so glad it's now, as it were, in, in, in public consciousness. And I'm very hopeful that it will find a good home in Britain. Yeah, I think it's just so wonderful, like you say, to see um, the interest and the, the record price that it went for and that real appreciation of of her work. And yeah, uh, as you touched on also, uh, Jewish artists, I, it was something I hadn't mm. um, looked into much before with the discrimination um, Jewish people face in the Victorian era. It's another, obviously, another fascinating topic as well. Thank you so much for your time, Jan. Um, it's wonderful to learn more about this painting and uncover the fascinating stories of Rebecca Solomon and Fanny Eaton and to learn more about its importance um, to British history and also the process of public museums kind of acquiring artworks. Um, I just wanted to say as well, I have emailed Princeton's curatorial department to see if they would like to chat to the podcast about their interest in the work, which is so wonderful to see, and to talk more about their collections. Hopefully we can maybe have a conversation with them as well. Thank you so much, Jan, it's been great to learn more about this painting um, and speaking personally, not, behalf, not on behalf of the society. I also really hope that it can find um, a home in the UK. But if not, I'm very glad, very hopeful that it will stay in a public museum, which is lovely and not go into a private collection and not be seen. So it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jan. You're very welcome, Hannah. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.